0: To this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: How many people are there that you would have thought would have been wiped out a long time ago because of their wickedness? But God continues to patiently endure with them. He continues to, to suffer long. And as Peter tells us, the long suffering of God is salvation. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis chapter 15 in a message titled, The Abrahamic Covenant. Now, here's Pastor Brian.
1: And so, Abram does as he's instructed to do. And so he divides the animals and he places them opposite one another at a distance. And there would be a path between the animals. And the way the covenant was ratified was those parties of the covenant would, they would pass through on that path between the separated parts of the animals. They would pass through together together. And as they passed through, that was essentially the signing of the contract. So that's what Abram no doubt thought was going to happen. Verse 11, when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then The Lord said, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So here's Abram. He's prepared for the establishing of the covenant, as God said. But as he's there waiting, the whole day passes, and the Lord does not appear to him. But in the evening the Lord finally does appear to him. But notice it says that, it says that horror and great darkness fell upon him. So here, Abram has this experience and some commentators believe that he's being allowed to experience a little bit of what his descendants will experience when they go into the captivity that the Lord then tells them about. And of course, God is speaking prophetically of uh, the sojourning of Israel in Egypt and of the ultimate deliverance of the people from Egypt. And, you know, it's an interesting side note to think that in all of this, you see that even the, the sojourn in Egypt was part of God's plan for Israel. It was God who led ultimately Israel to Egypt, and for the nation to develop and multiply, it all happened in Egypt. God led them there. Now, you know, that's a little bit, again, that's something that's a little bit difficult for us because we know in Egypt the Israelites had extreme difficulty, and does that mean that God will at times lead us into difficult circumstances? Yes, it does, God will lead us at times into difficult circumstances because it's in those circumstances that he's going to do something deep and something profound and something eternal in our lives. It's just a a side note, but God, of course, is letting Abram know about where things are headed in the future. But notice verse 16. This is a very interesting verse here and very relevant for us today, believe it or not. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. Your descendants shall return to this land, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete or full. Now, so often we hear, especially when anybody's, you know, maybe read the Old Testament or they've heard some of the stories of the Old Testament, some of the judgments that God brought upon the various nations, Joshua and the children of Israel coming into Canaan and destroying the Canaanites and so forth, and, you know, many would frown upon that. Many would, would condemn the Bible for that, and many would accuse God of being unfair. You know, how could a God of love wipe out people like the Old Testament said he did? But this is an interesting little thing to note here. The Amorites, the Canaanites, all of those inhabitants of the land were wicked in the days of Abraham. But God would give them 400 more years and 400 years worth of opportunity to repent. But in the end, they never would, and they would be judged. But you see the patience of God. God doesn't unfairly go in and just obliterate a culture. 400 years, that is a long, 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 long time. God is going to give them 400 years. It's like we read about in the case of the flood. You remember the condition of the world before the flood, all of the wickedness there, and yet God gave them 120 years. Noah built that ark for approximately 120 years. And during that time, there was opportunity for anyone who would have wanted to to repent, to turn to the Lord and ultimately to be saved and delivered through the ark. But as we know the story, nobody was. And so likewise, after 400 years of patiently enduring with the wickedness of the Amorites, God did finally judge them when Joshua went into the land. But never forget, there was that grace period, if you will. There was that 400-year period where God was giving them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to get things right. And that's the way God still works, isn't it? I mean, how many people are there that you would have thought would have been wiped out a long time ago because of their wickedness? But God continues to patiently endure with them. He continues to, to suffer long. And as Peter tells us, the long suffering of God is salvation. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so he keeps putting up with this. Now, you know, for us, from a human standpoint, you know, our patience would run out uh, rather quickly if we had to, to deal with the kinds of things that God sees and and God knows. You know, sometimes I find that I myself am, you know, I'm wearied by a a sinful situation or I'm upset or, and, you know, and then I'll realize, you know, I don't know one one hundredth of it. I only know the little bits that I can see. But God knows the whole thing. God knows it all. He sees it all. He hears it all. He tests the hearts. He knows the thoughts of every person. He knows all of that wickedness, but he continues, you know. So for somebody to accuse God of being unfair or hasty in his judgments or rash or unreasonable, they don't know the real story. So in the fourth generation, they shall return for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And now verse 17, this is, this is where it gets really astounding. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch. The picture, a smoking oven and a burning torch, I think, um, a better way to maybe visualize it is in what we would see later with, with Israel as they're journeying through the wilderness. You remember there was a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And those two things were symbolic of, of the Lord's presence. And so this, this smoking oven and this burning torch are speaking symbolically of God himself, his presence. And look what's happening here. There appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanite, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now, notice what's happened here. Normally, under all other circumstances, both parties would pass through the divided sacrifices. But God causes a deep sleep to come upon Abram so he is not able to pass through. And God passes through himself. You see, had God and Abram passed through together, it would have been, in effect, a bilateral covenant. It would have been dependent on both parties in order for it to be Fulfilled. But God does not allow Abram to pass through. He passes through alone. He establishes a unilateral covenant. So the conditions of the covenant are not dependent upon Abram, as wonderful as he is, as great a man of faith as he is, he's still a human, he's still weak, he's still prone to failure. We're not going to hinge the plan of God upon him or any other man for that matter. The plan of God is going to rest solely with God himself. And so as God walks through these divided animals, he is establishing an unconditional covenant. He alone is responsible to fulfill the promise, it will not be conditioned upon Abram's faithfulness, the faithfulness of his descendants. It is conditioned upon the faithfulness of God alone. Now, notice there are many aspects to the covenant, but the one feature that is being emphasized over and over again is to your descendants I have given this land. The land we know as as the land of Israel. Now, of course, uh, Israel did not yet exist. He he wasn't born at this time. He's the grandson of Abraham. And the name would be called after him because he was the father of, of the tribes, of course. But that land... That was known as Canaan when Abram entered it, that land that became known as Israel when Joshua conquered it, that land has been given by God Himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their physical descendants. And the covenant is not dependent on their faithfulness. When we think of the natural descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of course, we're talking about the Jewish people. And we're talking about a people who have been, this isn't an opinion, this is a fact based on Scripture, historically unfaithful to God. Historically unfaithful to God throughout their covenant relationship with Him through uh, Moses, and historically unfaithful to Him by their rejection of His Son, the Messiah, Jesus. But that has not disqualified them from ultimately inheriting the land because, you see, the covenant wasn't based on their faithfulness. It was based upon the faithfulness of God. And so that land will be ultimately given to the children of Israel to be their residence forever one of the main features of the Abrahamic covenant, the unconditional covenant, is that the land would be given to the descendants of Abraham. And interestingly, of course, descendants is plural, but interestingly, the word that's translated descendants is simply the word seed. Singular, And the context discern, determines whether it's seed's descendants or seed singularly. It, it's interesting to me that when everything finally comes, the final pronouncement of, of the covenant to Abraham comes in chapter 22, after the offering up of of Isaac. That's when the final pronouncement comes to Abraham of, of this particular covenant that God has been repeating to him over and over again. But when God pronounces it in the 22nd chapter, he says, and to your seed, singular, I will give this land. Now, If you turn over to the book of Galatians, the third chapter, the 16th verse, Paul says something amazing there. He says, to Abraham and his seed, singular, the promises were made. And he says, he does not say seeds as of many, but he says seed as of one. And Paul goes on to tell us, that the seed is none other than Jesus Christ. And this is kind of my personal take on it, but for what it's worth, I'll share it with you. God gave the land of Israel to Abraham and his seed. His seed, singular, Jesus Christ. The land of Israel... Belongs to Jesus Christ. And it's through him that Israel will ultimately inherit that land. You see, the problem in Israel today is that they are trying to inherit the land and reject the landowner, the Messiah. And that's why we have this constant conflict that will continue on endlessly until the day that they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And on that day, and during that time, the Lord, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he will restore the land to the descendants of Abraham, to the Jewish people. Now, in closing, we have entered into a covenant as well with God. We've entered into the new covenant. And again, like the Abrahamic covenant, the new covenant is one that God established solely by himself. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Salvation is not up to me. It's not up to us. It's not, the the burden of salvation was not placed on the shoulders of humanity and Jesus Christ. The burden of salvation is placed upon the shoulders of Christ alone. And he is the one who has secured our salvation for us. And so we, like Abraham, we have entered into this covenant where God has done for us all that needed to be done. And we have become the heirs of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. We are citizens of heaven. We are members of the household of God, not because of anything we've done, but because of Christ who offered himself through the eternal spirit without spot to God. So like Abram, we are in that same type of a situation. And interestingly, when Paul is arguing in the New Testament against, particularly against the Judaizers who were trying to impose the Mosaic system upon the Gentile believers, what Paul is essentially showing in his argumentation through Romans and Galatians is that the relationship we have as Gentile believers with God is the same relationship that Abraham had with God. And so just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, so that is the case with us. God has done all that needed to be done. What do we do? We do just what Abraham did. We believe God. It's as simple as that. I believe God for my salvation. I believe that Jesus paid it all. I believe that he did everything that needs to be done, and I just rest in what he did, and I'm secure in that as I rest in him. That's the good news. And as we'll see as we go on and, studying the life of this man, Abraham, as he comes into this covenant now. It doesn't, you know, turn him into a perfect person. He's still gonna have some struggles. He's still gonna have these moments where he's, you know, not doing things exactly right. In in the next chapter, we're gonna see he's gonna put forth a strong effort to to help God out. Now he, he knows what God's gonna do, but he's gonna... Try to maybe help a little bit. But we're gonna see from this point on a man who's now resting in the finished work, so to speak. The covenant that God has made. Like we can rest in the finished work of Christ. Just knowing that he established the covenant. That the burden was entirely upon his shoulders, and all that was needed to secure our salvation, he accomplished it. As he said in his final words on the cross, it is finished. It's complete, it's paid in full, nothing left.
0: back to basics radio is offering a book titled the air we breathe how we all came to believe in freedom progress kindness and equality by glenn scrivener Do you recoil at the ancient practice of slavery in the bible do you value modern-day freedom and equality do you abhor the mistreatment of minorities by some in the christian church If you answered yes to just one of these questions, or even all of them, then chances are you have unknowingly inherited the biblical notions of redemption, freedom, equality, and compassion. In his book, The Air We Breathe, Glenn Scrivener argues that Christianity has been infused into Western culture so thoroughly that its values are simply taken for granted, and their Christian origins have gone unnoticed. No matter what you believe regarding the existence of God, this book will help you understand some of the values you cherish most. The book, The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Kindness, Progress and Equality by Glenn Scrivener is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you